Before we start this podcast, I want to definitely remind you of a sponsor for Fresh of the Word, 20 by 20 Apparel. Founded in 2015, 20 by 20 Apparel brings original tributes to pro wrestling's classic arenas, moments, and events. They look to spotlight the bloopers, bleeps, and body slams along with the biggest, smallest, strangest, and strongest. In a world of wrestling where there's hundreds of shirts, promotions, flyers, social media accounts, and ads, don't get lost in the sea of parody shirts and display fonts. They can provide professional graphic design services at a reasonable price. 20 by 20 also hand screen prints all the tees in-house. So if you'd like to discuss a possible run of tees, posters, koozies, foam fingers, or even Zubaz, then drop them a line at 20by20apparel.com. That's the number 20x, the number 20apparel.com. And also check out their enamel pin line. It's super cool. Fresh is the word. Welcome to the Fresh of the Word podcast. I'm your host, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. And like always, we have the freshest of guests for you. The guest for this episode is the Oregon-born, Los Angeles-based DJ and producer, LP Giobi. She just released her new EP, Playing My Role, featuring her mix a lot via Thrive Music. It's a follow-up to her summer club smash, Meet Again, featuring Little Boots. LP is co-owner of Animal Talk a hybrid publishing company, event brand, traveling party, and artist collective she co-founded with Grammy-nominated electronic duo Sophie Tucker. LP also founded FemHouse, an educational platform created to address the lack of representation and inequality in electronic music by empowering women to learn the language of the studio. During our chat, we talked about her upbringing in music, becoming a DJ and producer, linking up with Sophie Tucker, we also get into our motivation for starting FemHouse and why it's so important to continuously fight for representation and equality in electronic music. And before we get into this episode with LP Giabi, I uh, you know, just wanted to uh, have an update on everything. Uh, took a couple of weeks off because I wasn't really feeling well. Uh, a little burnt out, you know, caught a little bug, non-COVID though. Um, feeling great, feeling good now. Everything's up and running. We're going to have two episodes this week. Uh, the next episode, coming right after this one, will be with, uh, you know, old school vinyl, rare gem, global DJ, Scheme Richards. He's a cool brother. We talked to you know a lot about that. Um, I guess we're all just trying to get through, uh, you know, this uh, presidential race. It's one crazy thing after another. Um, I'm just trying to, you know, keep my cool. I know everybody else's, but, you know, definitely, uh, definitely vote. Um, recently I was, um, I hosted on, uh, Paxahaw TV on twitch.com or twitch.tv slash Paxahaw, uh, their Paxa chat with uh, a good friend of mine, um, Drum and bass DJ producer, Sinistar. It was super fun. I'm glad that uh, Paxahaw, Paxahaw, sorry, I'm uh, mispronouncing that. Paxahaw, you doing? Um, I'm glad that they uh, brought me on to uh, do that. It was the first time doing a live stream. 
and uh you know who, who do you know who better to do that uh that that with than the homie sinistar uh that should be up on uh youtube and on soundcloud on paxaha's uh channels very soon um definitely check for my on my social medias um for uh, more info when those uh, get posted uh besides that you know just um just been you know cataloging my record collection um putting it on discogs uh, my username's kfresh if you want to check out my collection and stuff that i have on sale um i have a lot of like electronic music stuff a lot of 70s and 80s pop and rock awesome hip-hop stuff you know a little bit of everything just trying to slim down my collection i also have a want list on there that has a few things so if you see anything let me know uh we're just um just that's my thing that calms me down that and watching music videos and uh, i've learned a lot through uh, watching music videos these days <laughs> learned like who the actual name of some of these bands were in the 80s and stuff like that that uh you know did these songs man and not now i'm like picking up the records on uh on discogs i'm like ah, i need that you know and i'm doing the same thing while going through my records i'm like oh yeah yeah i what i need no i don't have this record from uh from this band you know so i'm like i'm curating my record collection a little bit more getting rid of trimming the fat getting rid of stuff i just don't listen to you know i'm like that someone else will appreciate more and i really underestimated the the discogs community in regards to how quick they will buy up like cheap uh like old 60s or 70s and 80s records you know that might not be in the in the best of shape but you know they're cheap you know i have them for a dollar two three dollars you know five dollars so that's been cool so uh you know that's what i've been doing you know i'm just trying to uh, keep it cool you know and also continuing on with my other podcast uh renaissance soul the Detroit History Podcast. I got a few episodes left of this year, which will be like the first season. Then I'll take a little break and then continue on. Um, I'll be doing uh, Fresh as the Word until the end of the year. Probably take a couple of weeks off at the end. But uh, that's, that's that's how things are going. Everything's going good. So uh, let's get into this interview, man, with uh, LPGOB after a word from our sponsor. All right, welcome back to the Fresh of the Word podcast. And like always, we have the freshest of guests for you. My guest for this episode is LP Giobi. She's a musician, a producer, a DJ. She's the head unicorn over at Sufi Tucker's Animal Talk. And she's creator of FemHouse, which is an educational platform created to address the lack of representation in equity in electronic music. Plus... She has a smile that can light up any of the darkest and dingiest techno clubs around the world. Thanks for joining uh, Fresh of the Word, LP. Ah, thanks for the intro. <laughs> you're welcome, you're welcome. Um, I just heard about you from uh, your publicist, and it was just like, I was looking over uh, your Instagram accounts, and I'm like, yo, she's like, she's mad cool, you know, and uh, she's doing all, she's creating a platform you know she's not just a dj or producer she's creating a community a platform and everything kind of goes together uh and such um kind of like you know first things first you know let's talk about fam house you know because i see a lot of uh a lot of uh like 
you know, um, familiar faces when I'm looking, uh, you know, looking at the people that you've uh, kind of highlighted. Um, I'm here. Um, I'm here in uh, Detroit, so I saw some Detroit faces there. You know, talk about Femhouse. Cool. Yeah, I actually just did a. Um, I sat on a panel at Ableton for a Detroit festival uh, last week, which was really fun. But Femhouse is a nonprofit I started about a year ago, and um, it is an educational workshop. Um, well you know, before the pandemic and after the pandemic. It's a monthly workshop in Los Angeles, a free workshop for women and non-binary folks um, and gender-fluid folks to learn um, how to produce music in Ableton. Um, We also just rolled out online courses so people um, anywhere in the world can take them. And, um, yeah, it's just sort of, it's it's a community and a platform and and an educational series to, to teach women how to produce music at its core. There's still a, a massive lack of female producers, and so we are trying to change that narrative and give more visual representation to that. And um, it's been an awesome journey, and I've met some of the coolest people through this program. Right. You know, that's you know that's always a you know a topic for a lot of the the women that are out there, and you um that you see these festivals, and there might be like one woman, two women on these on these huge lineups. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, you know, there is a lot of women out there making music and, you know, you know, there's always room for more, but, uh, you know, what's sort of like, you know, what was your motivation to be like, Hey, we, you know, we do need more representation at these festivals, in these lineups, in these compilations, you know, in electronic music, uh, because, you know, the, the, the usual, uh, thing is, Oh, there's nobody out there. You know, there's not enough women, but you know, I don't know about that. Yeah. Well, you just tell us people to come to me because I have a comprehensive spreadsheet of all the women who, uh, you know, definitely should be and could be booked for festivals and, um, all of their following numbers and their streaming numbers and all the, all the info to hand over to promoters that I oftentimes do send over when I get booked myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I, for me, um, I was, I moved down to LA to join an all-female electronic band, and I was doing sound design and specific stuff, and I was working with a lot of awesome male producers, um, but it didn't even occur to me that I could have that role until I heard that Grimes produced her own music, and that sort of a light bulb went off. I was raised by parents who were like, you can do anything you want. Like, that didn't even occur to me because I didn't see myself in that role. I didn't, I didn't know any female producers. I just, like, truly didn't even think that I could have that um, as a job, and um, when that light bulb went off, I kind of went like, wow, what else do I not think that I could be just because there's no visual representation of me in that role? And um, from that moment on, I became really dead set on, you know, being that for another woman in the future. And so I, I watched myself in the garage and I taught myself how to produce music for the next few years and taught myself Ableton and um, Pro Tools and um, how to work these DAWs and... Um, I just wanted to be able to pay that forward and create a space where women can feel safe learning that. My, my first time, I took an Ableton course in San Francisco, and it was 250 men and me, <laughs> the only <laughs> woman taking the course. So I kind of feel like oh, it, it would be nice to one day create a space where it's, it's um, you know, people, uh, women can learn from other women and, um, you know, build a community that way. So um, as far as the festival lineups go, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty <laughs> still very not equitable yet. Um, but I do see changes happening and, and I think that the more, you know, women who are producing and getting comfortable with the gear and getting comfortable producing and 
um, and DJing and that, you know, they kind of go hand in hand at this point. And um, I know that, that there are changes being made and hopefully Stonehouse has a, has a role in that and pushing that along. And um, I think that it does take the, uh, the, the promoters and the bookers have to be conscious and yeah. they have to be aware and they have to, you know, work to find, because the problem is a booker is going to book a festival and they're going to look at like, you know, another, like, well, who did Coachella book or, you know, who did EDC book, whatever. And, you know, it's hard to, if you don't, if you can't get your first foot on the, on the lineup, it's hard to keep getting lineups. Um, and so, you know, there just has to be a conscious decision to, we're going to go out, we're going to find women uh, who are good and who are worthy. And, you know, once you can like have the story and say, you know, have your agent go out and say, she's played XYZ, it just starts getting easier to play other festivals. So, you know, it just takes the consciousness of the promoter to really make that decision and, and change that narrative. One thing we're kind of learning from specifically during this current civil rights movement that we're going through with the Black Lives Matter movement is that, you know, all this stuff is uh, systematic. You know, there's a system put in place that is, you know, not given opportunities to certain people, whether it's based off the color of their skin, um, their gender and whatnot. When it comes to, you know, electronic music, what is like the the systematic things that need to be broken in regards to, you know, having more representation from all these different, you know, yeah. different people? Yeah, it's definitely a systemic issue for sure. Um, I think that it starts with the gatekeepers. The gatekeepers are the agents, they're the promoters, they're the producers usually. Um, and, um, you know, those people who are in power, who are mostly men still, yeah. <laughs> um, I think it takes consciousness and awareness to, um, you know, work a little bit harder to find uh, the the women who could play your festival and that who would be a, a good look and a good booking. Um, it just takes awareness. It takes um, care and concern. And, um, you know, the thing is that once you start putting more women on the lineup, other women in the audience see themselves. In, you know, and these women on stages and they start thinking, oh, maybe I could do this. And then yeah. a whole other generation of people starts to spring up. So it really starts at, at the top of the gatekeepers, you know. Um, when I, I really want to become a producer so I could help other women put out their own music, you know. And um, I took a job as the W Hotel's North American Music Director booking all of their live events so I could put more women on stages. Um, and, you know, I just I just think it's really up to those, to those gatekeeper roles to, to have some awareness and to bring that into the work they're doing. You know, how do you sort of, you know, bring awareness to these promoters and whatnot? Because if another thing that we've seen uh, during this uh, during this time, during this, you know, a new chapter of the civil rights movement is that, you know, a lot of times you got to put pressure on people. You got to protest. You got to, you know, start some yeah. sort of uh, community effort. You know, what do you, you know, what do you yeah. have to uh due to these you know, gatekeepers out there and what do you say to the people to the women that you work with uh in regards to you know standing out and being a part of that you know pressure that you know you have to put on these promoters yeah i mean i think it's twofold like i i think what we're learning about what's going on in the world right now which is really cool is that finally white people in particular are waking up to the fact that it's not enough to just like not be racist you have to be anti-racist yeah. like you have to take the power and the privilege you've been given to then pay it forward it's not enough to just not be an asshole. So I think, um, I think that, you know, if we can apply that to the music industry and the, you know, electronic music in particular, um, I think just, you know, again, like the, the awareness of the people who are in power 
And then also, you know, for like I, whenever I do get booked, I do have my team send out a spreadsheet with like, it's still in the booking process. Here are a bunch of other women, non-binary women of color, uh, you know, who would work for your festival. Here's all their numbers. Here's their contact. Like just making it as easy as possible for them. So I see that as my responsibility um, with like a small amount of, sorry, I have a plane flying over me. <laughs> Hold on. Right. With a small amount of, you know, power and privilege that I've been given, um, I I think it's important for me to also, you know, as a white woman in particular, be really aware of that and make sure that, um, you know, like I'm, I'm looking a lot of lineups for Femhouse. We just did a Desert Hearts takeover on their um, Twitch channel. And I need, you know, making sure that there are women of color represented in there, that there are non-binary folks represented in there. And, um, you know, that is my responsibility. In it. And I just hope that, you know, the people who are booking and the people who are agents and managers um, also take their responsibility on themselves. Right. You know, another kind of systematic thing that a systemic uh, thing about the music industry is that, you know, a lot of, you know, white men are in power. But a part of that, too, is that there's a lot of abuse that goes towards women. And what we're seeing a lot now, we're seeing, you know, things going on right now is that during this pandemic, a lot of DJs are not on the road. They're, you know, kind of like the we're seeing some of the, you know, the way some of the DJs are like the almost like their career was built on like, you know, a castle of sand. So you're seeing the realness kind of come out. You're seeing people, um, you know, uh, come forward about shitty behavior in regards to certain men in, in, in the DJ culture. So what do you tell the, you know, the women that you work with about sort of, what to expect, how to, um, you know, protect themselves versus any sort of predatory behavior in the, you know, DJ culture? Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a question that has many layers to it, right? Um, I mean, I personally had an amazing experience with, um, with many, many different men in the industry as producers and agents and managers. Uh, there are a lot of wonderful men out there. <laughs> um, as Warren Dirge comes to mind, he's been an amazing mentor and, um, you know, shared knowledge and songs and information with me so freely and openly. Um, I think, though, that, you know, uh, education is important. So, you know, a reason I started Ben House was when I moved to L.A., I was meeting so many amazing women singer-songwriters who are sort of waiting for a producer to pluck them out of obscurity and, and help put out their music, you know, and actually make their music. And uh, I think that that narrative creates, you know, a sort of a power dynamic that can be really unhealthy. And yeah. so um, with Sunhouse, my, my goal is to make, maybe, you know, producing isn't your actual calling, but at least speak the language of the studio. So when you are in a session with a producer, you know, you can say, I want more filter here, like take off all the reverb on my vocals, like just sort of have more control over the sound of your song, which is, you know, your art and your voice. So I think education is really important for us. Um, and, you know, just like aligning with allies who are out there, there are really, there are good men out there. And it's really important that, um, that, you know, allyship, I think, again, as we're learning right now, it's happening in the world is, is the way to make change. You know, people in power do have to care and have to, um, you know, lift as they climb. Now, how do you sort of, you know, when you're working with these women, like, is there any times when kind of like their own security is getting in the way and maybe they don't believe in themselves as much to be able to to do all those things and uh, sort of kind of, um, 
you know, do more for themselves, uh, realize that they can put out their own music, they can, you know, voice their opinions about how a track is going, sort of, how do you deal with, like, the yeah. mental aspect of that? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think belief is is a human is a human thing that 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 you know people of all genders um, struggle with, <laughs> especially I think as an artist, you know, am I good enough? Um, is this enough? Um, I think that's a question that we ask ourselves all the time, and I actually think that most of my work as a producer and a keyboardist and a, and a DJ, most of my work is really mental work. It's like finding strength to believe in myself. It's finding. Um, finding whether that's through mantras and every single morning I wake up and I write three pages of word vomit. It's kind of like all the negative stuff that's in my head. I just get it out on the page and then I end with positive affirmation. Mine are right now. I am the piano house queen. I am the piano house queen over and over and over until maybe I can start believing it. And therefore then I can like get up and I can open my Ableton session and I can start working, you know? Right. I think it's, it's really a game of, of trying to find, um, you know, your inner child before you judge your, or criticize yourself, you know, and find your joy um, and find your belief. And, like, I think that's most of the work, honestly, as an artist uh, for for men and women uh, and non-binary folks alike. So, um, you know, I, I think that uh, on a human-to-human level, I think, like, one of my main jobs is to say, you know, I believe in you. You can do this. Truly, if I can do this, I am living proof that anybody can do this. I had no natural ability towards this. I, I just grinded and I, you know, took every resource I possibly could to learn and um, spent time and energy and, and effort on it. And it's possible for absolutely anybody um, if you're willing to put in the work. And, you know, that's kind of like, that's kind of what I say to all the women that I get the pleasure and the honor of working with. Right. I had somebody, I had Sophie and Tucker who believed in me. They found me. I was playing this festival to nobody. And they, they, they thought there was something special there. And they said, I believe in you. Then I, in turn, thought, okay, well, I guess I'll be with myself if, if you do, you know? And so that changed my life. And, you know, I learned from that is that belief is really the ultimate, um, it's, it's really the ultimate thing that we can give ourselves. So I, if I could give that to somebody else, you know, that's really why I'm here. You know, what is it about, you know, what do you think it is about yourself that you were able to build your career the way that you've been able to and, you know, get these opportunities? You know, is there anything that you feel like you can just point to that is the reason why, um, you know, you're, you're at yeah. the place you're at? Totally. I mean, I think that at the base level, I have these artists of Sophie Tucker, who had a platform, and they, you know, literally built stages for me to play on as their opening DJ. They started a record label to release my music. They created a community where I wasn't alone, and I, you know, was able to believe in myself and learn and create. And, um, you know, I, I just, like, they used their platform to, you know, actually push me forward. Um, I also... I've had a lot of support. I had parents who were like, you got this. You know, I, I went to school for jazz piano performance. I've, I've been studying music a really, really long time. Uh, but I think that really what it comes to, even, even, you know, the opportunity that led me to beating Sophie and Tucker, um, I just like, I just had blind faith. I just, <laughs> I just thought if I say yes to every opportunity I can possibly say yes to, if I just throw myself, if I just throw everything against the wall, something will stick. And so I just sort of lived my life like that for, you know, four years until something stuck. Um, and, you know, the I had so much joy. I found joy in all the experiences that I said yes to. So there's always something to learn from, you know, like the intrinsic value of just doing it, even if there's no larger outcome. 
Um, but you know, you never know when that larger outcome is going to hit. So I just, I just threw everything I had against the wall. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I I think like, I remember my my partner, he would always tell me like, it's really a game of like, who can, like who can stick it out the longest. Like some artists for sure, they release a song and their career just goes, but that's not, that's very rare. So it's like, can you just stay in it? Can you just stay grinding? Can you just stay, can you just stay trying? Because if you, if you can outlast, something will happen. You know, kind of rewinding back, you know, when was the first time, like, in your life that you kind of had the urge to, uh, you know, to do music? You just mentioned about, you know, uh, your childhood a little bit. But when was that first time where you just had yeah. the urge of, like, wanting to do music? Yeah, totally. Um, I was in second grade, and I came to my parents, and I said, I can't let this. And they were like, What? That has, like, I didn't have a piano in the house or anything, but I think I, like, saw a super performer, like, play the piano. I, I thought, I need to do that. And so I, I, I just nagged at them until they thought, okay, I guess that's great. Maybe you're old enough to, like, be able to sit through piano lessons. And they, I mean, I think this is actually really what everything ties back to and why I'm blessed on the planet. They found this piano teacher named Carolyn Horn, who is, you know, the most influential person in my life to this day. She... I studied with her from second grade all the way to going all the way to college, just in year of high school. And, you know, like in the middle school years, when like most people like stop wanting to practice the piano and they, you know, get interested in other things or whatever. She kept me interested because she really taught creativity more than scales and, um, you know, being like a drill master. She really just like some days I would come in and we just like play the inside of her grand piano or other days we would like play the bongos and dance. Like she just, cultivated joy and um the beauty of creativity and so I just it was just became part of me um and then when I went to college I kept you know kept studying uh, jazz performance and whatnot um and that eventually led me to like playing a, a jazz gig at the solo jazz center gig at this bar in San Francisco and and while I was doing that this producer who worked with Daft Punk and was their um engineer and producer he approached me and asked me if I wanted to move to LA to <laughs> to join this all-female electronic band. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of how that all started. But it, it started with piano lessons really in second grade. I, I feel, I don't know why I was determined um, to, to get those, but I guess I just, I had something inside me that said do this. Now, what was, what was sort of the next chapter in that? Did you know, did you go to L.A. at that time? You know, what happened? Yeah, I go to L.A. and I spent the next, like actually three years in the garage teaching myself sound design, synthesis, Pro Tools, Ableton, like learning about grime, being determined to become a producer. Um, and, you know, my music was bad at first. It was really bad. If I had just like judged it and stopped, like, oh, I'm so grateful I kept going. <laughs> um, and, you know, as I got more comfortable with different gear and different synths, I kind of like thought, oh, DJing looks kind of fun. Like, let me understand this world and sort of dabbling and DJing a little bit and that I was actually playing at a festival with this band I was in and I've, um, they like a DJ fell off of the after party who uh, was with the support for the Sophie Tucker after party show and so my agent like last night was like they're looking for a DJ can you like fill in and I thought you know it's one of those times where I said I'm going to say yes to everything like I wasn't even there with DJ but I was going to say yes <laughs> and so I went to the gig and my mom was actually teaching the festival and she was the only person on the dance floor 
and she was only there to feed me chicken nuggets. And I remember thinking, it was one of those moments where I thought, what am I doing with my life? Like, this cannot be it. <laughs> and it turns out, though, that Sophie and Tucker were backstage listening to my whole set. And so I left the festival, and, like, a month later, they DM'd me and asked me if I wanted to be their direct support on their tour. And I, their first headline U.S. tour, and I was like, oh, I don't even really know how to say. Like, I was just, like, on my laptop, and, like, well, we love what you did you know, come or not. And so I, I literally learned how to DJ in front of people night after night, failing epically. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, failure will drive you to succeed. So I um, spent, you know, all my extra hours were driving around in the minivan at the time. And um, I could spend you and just like literally watch YouTube tutorials. And it's just funny to think how my rig has grown. I now have like a semi-live element in the show. And yeah. Um, with like a drum machine and a bass and a, key- and a keyboard. But at the time I had this like tiny little controller <laughs> and, you know, it was just, I kind of, that, uh, that just sort of started to work. The band was a really fun, weird experimental art project and I loved it. Um, but, uh, when I met Tucker, he was like, this is joyous person. You're in this band making crazy or dark music. Like what if you made music that reflected who you were? And so I just sort of started doing that, and it, and it kind of started finally coming together for me. So I, I just followed, you know, followed the path that, that's being laid out for you. Yeah, like failing in public is something that, you know, all DJs used to do back in the day um, before <laughs> uh, a lot of this, uh, you know, technology came out, you know. You know, that's how we used to do yeah. it back in the day. Um, so that's good that you learned that lesson, you know, to be able to, yeah. you know, it kind of gives you a little kick in the butt, you know, in regards to learning because you're like, very humbling. Yes. Yeah. Cause you're like, <laughs> I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be shitty forever, you know? And I, yeah. you know, I don't like that but feeling. It also, teaches you, it also teaches you though, like it's not the end of the world. Like it, that kind of like taught me like, I will still keep going. I'll still breathe. People in the audience will keep dancing, even if it's not a great mix. And, like, that allows me to be more experimental than I think I would normally. Like, I have a very type A personality where, like, everything has to be perfect. And that experience sort of taught me, like, it's okay if it's not perfect. And and I'm really grateful for that because that allows me to, like, be weirder on stage and try out new things that, you know, will lead to some sort of cool moment of creativity and, (laughs) you know, learning. So, um, yeah, I mean... I will just keep going. I'm, you know, we're just making music here. Like, <laughs> I'm not a brand joker. I'm not pregnant. Like, you know, just sort of like the stakes are, I mean, of course we want to do our best, but um, it's really about, you know, creativity, joy, and learning. Right. And I see, you know, I see you on Twitch now, DJing. I uh, heard your tracks. You know, you're really good. You know, I really enjoy, uh, you know, the, the energy that you bring in both of those things. You know, when was the... When was like the, you know, when did you finally feel comfortable like in what you were doing or any, any sort of comfort, let's just say? Yeah. Um, I would say that once I start feeling comfortable is when I really shake it up. So I, <laughs> I think that once I was level like, okay, I feel really comfortable in this. Like okay, I added the piano, I feel really comfortable with that. The set. Okay, I added the drum machine, I feel comfortable with that. So I added the TP3, I feel comfortable with that. I'm going to start like getting acapellas to loop on top as if I'm as soon as I feel comfortable, I add something or I change something because I think the point of, you know, this life, at least as far as I figured it out, is, is to keep, you know, growing and pushing yourself and seeing what you could do. So I really don't stay in the place of comfort very often. I would say most shows, I'm like trying out something new that I haven't really done before and I'm nervous about it. But I think that that, I have to that feeling of like, this could go wrong. And, you know, it just sort of 
makes you a slightly more engaged, you know? I think yeah. if I stepped onto every stage and thought, I got this, then um, then I think I would be bored. But there is, you know, there's certainly a level of like, okay, I know that it's, it starts train wrecking. I know what I can do to recover. You know, I know it not like can turn. I know like the spin back move I can do to like just get out. So, you know, that is for sure reassuring. And I probably didn't get there until, I mean, it was probably two solid years of touring and playing night after night in front of people to get to a place of like, I can experiment and it'll be okay. Um, you know, to, I obviously <laughs> took way longer than I wanted it to. And a lot of, lot of hours by myself, you know, because with the gear, touching everything, being, you know, just getting comfortable with messing up it, it you know, as much as I could in private. But a lot of it was public. <laughs> right, right. What was, you know, what, what was the importance of, like, building your confidence during this time? Yeah. You know, what I've learned is that actually really, uh, building my confidence is like a separate job. Um, and actually, I sort of, I'm, I'm still on that journey. Uh and for me, the focus is really finding um, internal validation. Like, I am not what I do. I love what I do. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a person of words for other reasons because I'm, you know, a good daughter and a good sister and a good friend and, like, these things that I think are actually very valuable. Like, really focusing on my uh, personal growth as a human and um, sort of disassociating, like, uh, you know, external validation from who I am. Um, because then that sort of allows you to, if you mess up, like that doesn't mean you suck. It's just, you didn't do good that night and that's okay. <laughs> and like, even your outfit, if you did really good and the crowd's going wild then you know, that doesn't feed your ego too much because, you know, again, that's not who you are. It's just what you do. Um, so I think like that actually is really more than like becoming confident. It's just finding, you know, no matter where I go, I am still, you know, a good human. And like, I think that allows me to then do the work I need to do. What have you learned during your time, you know, working with Sophie Tucker? Oh, I've learned everything. I learned everything from them. <laughs> I just love dance music. I mean, I was like, I was just a deadhead. Like, I was like, listening to a lot of indie rock. I, I just started creeping into the world of electronic music, but more like, you know, too many DJs or like, um, um, soul wax sort of like hybrid band dance kind of thing. And really, they were the ones who, you know, turned me on to house music. And that whole entire world, uh, which, you know, is just mind-blowing for me, black hole. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm not talking to see this. I'm a lot. We have a, a, a track coming out at the end of the year that I'm really excited about um, our first collaboration. And that, that process was so fun and so joyous. And really what they bring to the table is um, they have so much excitement. So the music they're making for what they're doing, everything is is just so excitable and so new, you know, they don't like when they listen to their own music, they love it and they get excited about it. And it's really refreshing and, and cool to see that. Um, and they also are really good at like tapping their inner child. There's like a lot of playtime. I mean, they're the hardest working people I know without a doubt, but um, there's so much joy and play in what they do. And I think that's why they're able to sustain themselves and not, you know, overwork themselves is because there's so much joy in, um, in their lives. There's so much play and it's, it's just, I feel it's the biggest gift of my life to be around them. Yeah, that's something that I always noticed about them from the moment that, like, you know, they, they became on my radar. I was like, yo, this, like, they really do feel like, you know, they really act like they really are into this. They're really having fun with this stuff. Totally. They are the most fun people. Like, so much laughter and so much joy and 
I can actually tour with them. The tour schedule is pretty, you know, there's a different city every night, after party most of the time. And, and they take really good care of themselves. They treat themselves like athletes more than rock stars. So, like, you know, they, they don't drink or party on the road. Um, you know, they're doing meditation before and after the set, like, so they can, like, calm their adrenaline in a natural way so they can sleep that night, so they can get up and do it again. They're eating super healthy. There's, like, green smoothies, you know, after the show. It's just a really, really um, healthy mind, body, spirit sort of journey. And that has been really cool to see, you know, because when I first started, I'd go to clubs, and, like, a lot of times the cars would be like, you need any drugs for tonight? Like, it was just sort of assumed. <laughs> and it's just been really cool to see a different way of doing it. Like, actually, I have more energy when I just take really good care of myself than I can to the after party. And I can't be on this play the next day. It's, um, I, I think that that's not normally the narrative in electronic music. But um, right. I'll tell you, like, people think that, you know, at the shows, everybody assumes they're also on Molly. <laughs> they are, like, just so high on life. It's really cool. You know, what's, you know, outside of all the, everything we've talked about, all the music stuff, you know, what are some of your interests? You know, what kind of things do you do to decompress? Great question. This is something I'm actually working on in the pandemic because I spent the last years only working and kind of becoming actually a workaholic, just like needing to like see this goal through. And um, with this latest release, like I finally kind of see the past now and I'm trying to... Um, like breathe a little bit deeper and like take the claw grip, you know, out of my hand. Um, and I also just, I don't think how I was living was very healthy at all. I would, you know, go, I'd be on tour, I'd get off stage, I'd send emails until two or three in the morning, I'd get up at six, take conference calls, get in the studio, get in an airplane. Like it was just a lot. Um, and so I'm really working on developing myself as a person outside of music. Um, I really care about family. I'm really close to my family. So I try to spend as much time as I can with them. I try to read books, um, all sorts of different kinds of books, not just self-growth or self-help books. Um, <laughs> and I, I like running. I like really like going on long runs. Um, and just, you know, spending time with the, with learning from the, I have a really awesome community of powerful women in my life. So trying to stay in touch and maintain those friendships and, um, Yeah. You know, music wise, kind of in a nutshell. <laughs> music wise, how you how are you dealing with the pandemic, and and what do you wait? Hold on. Wait. Yeah, well, well actually, I, I kind of have to run uh, tonight. I have my live stream in ten minutes, <laughs> so I have to get ready for that. Oh, okay. Um, All right, then. I, um, I've been live streaming every day. I'll, I'll, I can answer this. Well, I've been live streaming every day, and you know, I've actually been spending more time in the studio because I have more energy. <laughs> And um, it's actually been, I think it's hard not knowing when it ends, you know, like not knowing when I can share music on a dance floor because what I'm really learning is, like, I've actually never had a, more success in my life during this pandemic, ironically. Um, but what I'm actually learning is, like, more than, like, through Spotify streaming or whatever, what I really do, what really does fuel me is sharing music on a dance floor with people. So, um, which is really awesome to, you know, reaffirm as an artist. I think that's so good to know that. And, um, I'm excited for that comes back. And in the meantime, I'm just, I have, um, about an album's worth of music that will most likely come out next year, which I'm excited about. Um, uh, so just working on that and, you know, working on being a 
good human. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. It was, you know, it's been great talking with you. Um, you know, do you have any last thoughts that you want to share with the audience about, you know, you and anything that you're uh, involved in? Uh, thanks. Um, I mean, we covered a lot. I would say, you know, Funhouse, check it out. This is Funhouse.com. Um, we're in a fundraising stage. We're raising money for a scholarship program for women of color. Um, another barrier to entry. Uh, you know, as a producer, all the gear costs a lot of money. The computer, um, you know, the dot, Ableton, whatever. Um, so we're working on that to uh, diversify the, the women who take our course. Um, and um, I have a few tracks coming out in the next few months that I'm excited about and on different labels. So stay tuned for that. Thank you for listening to the Fresh of the Word podcast, hosted and produced by myself, Kelly K. Fresh Frazier. Empowered by Anchor at anchor.fm slash Fresh of the Word. Fresh of the Word theme music provided by Steve O. You can find more of his productions at imsteveo.bandcamp.com. And that's E-Y-E-A-M-S-T-E-V-E-O.bandcamp.com. Fresh of the Word is available on all major streaming platforms. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you want to support Fresh of the Word, please consider pledging via Patreon at patreon.com slash Fresh of the Word. Follow Fresh of the Word on social media on Twitter at Fresh of the Pod, on Instagram at Fresh of the Word Podcast, and join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Fresh of the Word. For more information about Fresh of the Word and our other podcasts, Breaking Records and Renaissance Soul, and a collection of pop culture articles and reviews, please visit freshofthepodcast.com. Thank you for listening and your support. Goodbye and good night. Fresh is the word.